so I've had the opportunity a couple of different times to teach at a, um, let's call it a messianic, uh, sort of a Jewish messianic college down in Belo Horizonte, Brazil. And the first time I went down there, one of my hosts was uh, a woman who is a, a minister at the Hartzion Church, Hartzion uh, Congregation, they call it, which is, means Mount Zion Church. And uh, she was a wonderful person and just somebody so easy to love. And so she was kind of in charge of making sure all my arrangements were cared for. And uh, we were sitting with a group one evening. Her name is Marley. And I said to Marley, I said, Marley, how'd you get involved in ministry? She told me the most fantastic story. So Marley's a wise woman. She's always good, always happy, just always bubbly and so forth. She said, well, it's a strange story. She said about 30 years ago, so she's about my age, so in the late 70s or maybe in the 80s, she said, I felt like the Lord was calling me to preach in London, England. And I said, that's really cool. I said, so were you living in England? She said, oh, no. I was living in Belo Horizonte. She said, I was Brazilian. I had never left the country of Brazil. And she said, the Lord kept calling me, but I didn't know what to do because she said, I'd never left Brazil. I didn't speak English and I had no money. But I, I couldn't say no to the Lord. So she raised enough money to get a ticket to go to London. Now she had to fly through Lisbon, Portugal. You know that uh, Brazil was settled first by the Portuguese, at European settlements at least. So she flew to Lisbon. She got on a plane to Lisbon and she flew into London. When she landed in London, she's at the immigration office and they asked her the question, you know, where's your visa? She, she didn't know what a visa was. She didn't speak English. She had no visa. So then they asked her, what kind of job you come for? She said, well, I don't have a job. They asked her where she planned to stay. She said, well, I, I don't have any money. I don't have a place to stay. Can you recommend a place that I can stay for free? She said, it hurts so bad when they finally laughed at me. I told them God is sending me to London. And they told me you're going back to Lisbon. They put her on an airplane and sent her back to Lisbon. She got off the airplane. She said, I was heartbroken. My face was, the countenance was down, had tears in my eyes, and I'm walking through the airport when some guy comes up, sees that my countenance is down and wants to talk to me and offers her a job. Turns out it's a job working for the Portuguese government in London. In fact, they not only sent her to London, they paid for her apartment, paid for her utilities, taught her to speak English, which is how she and I could have our conversation. And for five years, Marley spent that time planting a church right in the middle of London, England. So she says to me after she tells the story, she says, so I guess it worked out all for the better that I wasn't able to enter London the first time. Her story has stuck with me. Because it sort of demonstrates a great truth of Scripture that I've tried to talk about all through the pandemic, and it's just this. When times are tough, God is always up to something. He's up to some kind of miracle. That's what God does. I'm reminded of a text in Isaiah chapter 55 where Isaiah, speaking for God, says this. This is God speaking. I'm going to paraphrase just a tad. Look, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth... So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts? God is always up to something. You can be sure of that. And I think it's probably a good time for us to remind ourselves, maybe this week, maybe one other week, as we exit some of the shelter at home, as we deal with all that's gone on. So it's been a very painful time for many people for African-Americans in uh, North America, 
very painful time. The pandemic, we've had the economic crisis that has come with that. Unemployment pushing 20%. People have lost their jobs and their businesses. You know, peaceful demonstrations at times have turned into violent protests and, and near riots at times. Now, you may not be paying a lot of attention, but there's some anxiety that Hong Kong is about to lose its freedom. Just this morning, I read an article that uh, 27 Christians were massacred in the country of Mali, where we actually do mission work by Islamic terrorists. There's been a locust plague sweeping across the continent of Africa. I mean, in a lot of ways, you can say 2020 has turned out really to be a difficult and painful year. And here's something I know about this. I know that when you're facing intense pain, when you're unsettled, when you've got a lot of anxiety, there's a whole lot to be said for having a mantra, something you can say to yourself. Maybe you might use the term folk wisdom. To have some folk wisdom, a simple saying that you can hold on to whenever you find yourself really wrestling. So early on in the pandemic, I gave you one. It's Exodus 15 and verse 2. You remember that one? That that's a, a go-to verse you can call upon whenever you need to. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Well, today, I want to give you four truths that I, I, I'm going to ask you to say them back. Even in your living room, I'm going to ask you to say them back. Because I think if you have these four truths, and you can play them like the rook card, Whenever life gives you a pretty powerful uh, oppositional deal, you can play that truth. I think it'll really help us not only inside, not only hold on to what God has offered us, but it will help us convey to others the confidence that we're supposed to have as Christians. I mean, the whole world's watching us. What are we going to do in the face of a pandemic? What are we going to do in the face of all the, 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 the racial division in America? What are we going to do? I want to give you four fundamental truths and I'm going to pull them out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. And I want to say this again. I used Isaiah 40 not long ago. I mean, just a couple of months ago, I used the last part of this. And as I used it, it just kind of kept coming back to me. There's more in this text that we want to look at. There are four truths, and I'm going to ask you to say them with me. I'm going to go through them with you. Out of Isaiah 40, in fact, I'm going to start at, let's see, verse 21. Because verse 21 sort of summarizes the truths that I want to make sure you are holding on to. These are power statements. These are power truths that will help you navigate difficult times. And as Christians, we need to say these truths to our own hearts over and over again. You need to say them to your husband, to your wife. They need to hear you say them. You need to say them to your children. And when people out in the world say, what's going on? Where is God right now? How could God let this happen? Why would God let a pandemic occur? How would God allow a guy like George Floyd just to die the way he did? Where is God in all this? There are four powerful truths that you should say back to that. Are you ready? Here's the first one. God is still on his throne, and he's not going to step down. Now, I know it's weird, have a television or a screen or an iPhone or whatever you got, to speak back to it. And you know, at first, I won't know whether you did it or not, but I have ways of finding out. So I'm going to ask you to say that back with me, wherever you are. Will you just say it back with me? Let me say it again. God is still on his throne, and he's not going to back down. Say that with me. I just want you to be able to say that. Whenever someone says, man, it looks like the country is flying apart, and it does. Here's a great truth you need to be able to say back. Yes, say it with me. 
but God is still on his throne and he's not going to step down. Listen to this verse. Start at verse 21. Do you not know? I like these rhetorical questions. It's, it's Isaiah's way of saying, pay attention. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned. God is sitting on a throne above the circle of the earth. Its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. That is, God is on his throne and he's not going anywhere. I just want to make sure that we understand that whatever else happens, we have a king and he is above all. He sits above the circle of this universe and he's still in control. Now, if I were you, I would be asking the question right now, well, if God is in control, explain to me how, why so many bad things happen. I'm going to give you two quick answers. This is really a, a, not a sermon. Uh, let me say it this way. This the theology that I'm going to share with you today, I have to give it to you really briefly because we're trying to keep this tight. But this is something we're going to want to talk about more, I think, as we come out of the pandemic. How do we talk about what's called theodicy, that is, the justice of God in situations where people are suffering? Let me give you two points. The first one is, because God loves us, He gave us free will. One reason why we suffer is because we choose to do painful things. I'm not suggesting that covers all sin. I'm, in fact, I'm not blaming everybody for their suffering. But I will say this, if I overeat and I end up with open heart surgery, do me a favor and don't blame God. It's not his fault. I'm the one you need to blame. A lot of the, a lot of the pain that we have is pain that we brought on ourselves or in some cases we inflicted upon other people. So that's one reason why even though God is good and even though God is on his throne, they're still suffering. But the second thing you need to know is that when we introduce sin into the world, we broke all the goodness of the world. It's all good, but it's broken good. So I've used this illustration before. It used to be when God first created heavens and the earth, the breeze was a gentle place to walk with uh, one-on-one with God. And then when we broke the world, suddenly the breeze turned into hurricanes and tornadoes. It used to be that the multiplication of cells in the body was a very good thing. It meant that we could grow and flourish. And then when we broke the world, suddenly it turned into cancer. So what the Bible teaches us is that God is on his throne, but he's given us freedom and we've polluted the creation. And now we have to live in a polluted creation. So what we have to be able to do is talk about both the sovereignty of God and the freedom of will that he's given us. Both are true. Both are true. But God understands much better than we. Okay, that's our first truth. God is still on his throne. He's not going to step down. I want to share a second truth with you. And I'd like for you to say this as well. God is over everything that happens. That's it. God is over everything that happens. I'm going to keep reading. Verse 23. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. In fact, I'm going to go down to verse 26. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Who created all these things? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each one of them by name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not a single one is missing. So what Isaiah is saying, or God through Isaiah here, is that I, God, am deciding who's going to be king. I'm deciding who's going to be president. I'm deciding who's going to be chief. I'm deciding who's going to be governor. I get to make those decisions. Not only is God king, but God is the one who is acting in all things. It's God who's doing these things. 
God's behind it. Now again, if I'm you, this raises a little bit of a theological problem for me, which is, well, you mean God sent the plague? God causes racism? God's doing all these things? Let me say this. Let me say, first of all, God never does evil. It's impossible for God to sin. This is repeated over and over again in the Scriptures. We're not suggesting God sins because He never sins. He's perfect. But what I am suggesting is that whether God directly causes something or whether God obliquely causes it, God is going to use it for His good ends. You remember I mentioned this, the first Sunday out of the pandemic, I said that I went through the Bible and I looked up every place I could find the word plague. I think 102 times the Bible speaks of plagues. And all but one attributes the plague to God. Every time there's a pandemic in the Bible, God sent it. I've really thought about that. How do we say God sends a pandemic that kills 300,000 people? How do we talk about that? Let me just say it this way. When we talk about whether God causes something or how God is behind something, it's worth remembering that God might have set up a whole sequence of events. Or God may have simply placed actors in a particular role and they're acting out that sequence of events. Or God may simply have designed things so that they would naturally occur this way. When we say that God is the source of these things, we're not necessarily saying that God sat down and he looked in a crystal ball and he said, hey, I think it'd be a good idea for us to create a virus that kills a bunch of people. But what we can say is that God sets in motion a world where people have to be disciplined. I'll tell you an illustration. In the book of Exodus, chapter 4, God is speaking to Moses about Pharaoh. And he says to Moses, go tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And then he says, verse 21, Mo, I will harden Moses' heart and I'll punish him. I just think about that a second. God says, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart and I'm going to punish him. Does that really seem fair to you? That God would make Pharaoh refuse God's message and then punish him? for refusing. Sounds like Pharaoh didn't have a choice. Well, the more you read the story, the more you realize the way God hardened Pharaoh's heart was not by looking in a crystal ball and saying, let's just make that thing really hard. What God did, we read this in chapter 7 and verse 13 of Exodus, God sent the word to Pharaoh, and because Pharaoh had a hard heart already, when he heard the word of God, he hardened it more. So God didn't decide, I'm going to make Pharaoh's heart hard capriciously, whimsically. What God did was he spoke the truth to Pharaoh, and that hardened Pharaoh's heart. So when we say that God is behind all things, we're not necessarily saying that God has decided, I'm going to make this guy die, this guy live, and so forth. What we're saying is that in some way or another, God is using everything that happens to accomplish his will. How else do you read Romans 8, 28? All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. All things, not just the good things. The pandemic is going to work together for good for those of us who love the Lord. Even, this sounds sacrilegious to say it, even the riots are going to work somehow for the good of those who love the Lord. That's what the Bible means when it says all things work together. Somehow God is behind all of this producing God's goodwill. So my second truth that I want you to hold on to is that somehow or another, God is using everything that's happening for our good. Will you say that with me? God is using everything that happens for our good. Right now, say it with me, God is using everything that happens for our good. You see these two truths? I mean, they're really fantastic truths. They give us security. They remind us of who's in charge. God is on his throne and he's not going to sit down. Step down, I should say. 
And second, that God is going to use all things that happen for our good. Okay, there's a third truth I want you to see. So let's pick up at verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? So Jacob, it's the name of the people of God. He's using poetry here. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So here's what I want to say. God uses adversity to give us strength. So I can't say why everything that's happening has happened. I can't. And and I advise you not to say it either because I don't think you know. But here's what I can say. I can say God is still the king and he's not going to step down. I can say that somehow or another God is using all these things that are happening for our good. And I can say that God is building our strength through these tough times. You need to say that with me, that God uses adversity to build strength. Say that with me. God uses adversity to build strength. God is crafting for himself a whole generation of strong followers of Jesus through all that's going on. I'll just say this, especially to those of you who are teenagers. So um, my dad's mama, we called her Granny Young. She grew up in uh, South England. She grew up in Southampton is what they said. Southampton, we would say. Uh, The Portsmouth, Southampton area, South England. She actually met my granddaddy, who was a a doughboy in the First World War, and he was there uh, guarding uh, British aircraft from the Germans uh, in South England during the war, and she was running a pub, and somehow or another, Granddaddy Young, who I can't imagine ever taking a drink, met her. Married her and brought her back. She never saw her family again, by the way, never went back. Granny Young died when I was a boy, so I didn't know her too well, but I, I can remember one thing. There's a bunch of us boys in the family, and we harassed her and everybody that came our way, and we would harass her. And Granny Young used to look at me. She had a real tart mouth, and she, she would just, you didn't want to cross her. She was tart, she was smart, and she was um, straight as an arrow. She would say, I remember her saying this to me. She'd say, David Young, with a British accent, I can't pretend. David Young, I lived through two world wars and a Great Depression. You don't scare me a bit. And she meant it. Well, I just want to say to those of you who are graduating this year from high school, one day you're going to tell your kids, I lived through the year 2020. There's nothing you can do that's going to scare me. I mean, literally, God is making us strong. You don't develop strength without some kind of pushback, without some kind of resistance, without some kind of adversity. So what is God doing? I don't know, but in this text it says, He will give us strength. He will not fall asleep. He gives us the strength that we need. Okay, i got to finish the sermon. So I'm going to give you one more point. Verses 30 and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So let me just say this. The Bible consistently points to a time when God will redeem all things. All things. The injustices that have been done to many of you, God's going to buy it back. He's going to make it right. The losses that some of you have felt, just the mental health issues that have have really been a burden for a lot of us during this pandemic. 
God is, look, he's not just going to heal you from all that. He's not just going to heal the world from injustice. He's actually going to buy it all back and make it right. He's going to turn it into something that where, where we're going to be able to say, I can't believe God did that with this. The great truth I want you to see, God's going to make it right. Say that with me. God's going to make it right. Will you say that with me? These are great truths we want to say. God is sitting on his throne and he's not going to step down. God is using all things for our good. God is using adversity to make us strong. And God is going to work everything out. God is going to make it right. Say that with me. God's going to make it right. So I guess the time's coming when you and I are going to reach an agreement that we don't need me singing anymore, but not yet. I came in with one song that I want to share with you, and then I'll close. Uh, it's an old song, 220-something years old now, a song that many of you have sung before, and it speaks about the fact that the promises of God, the Word of God, gives us all the foundation that we need. In these turbulent, troubled, and difficult times, the Word of God gives us all the foundation that we need. You know the song, How Firm the Foundation, Ye Saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. In every condition, in sickness and health, in poverty's veil or abounding in wealth, at home or abroad, on land or on sea, as your day may demand it, so His sustenance shall be. Then I want to sing you this verse. Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed. For I am thy God, and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my right, just omnipotent hand. There's really two more really amazing verses, seven verses in total. Can I sing you one more? I just kind of feel like I need to. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy chaff to consume and thy gold to refine. In other words, the only reason I'm letting you go through this is because I want you to be refined as gold. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake. God's doing something amazing, my friends. In my brown bag lunch oh, a week or so ago, two weeks ago, I guess, Dr. Ming Wang was here, and I've mentioned him before. When he tells his story, it's just amazing. In the Cultural Revolution, he leaves China with $50 English dictionary and nothing else. He comes here looking for a life that he was denied there during the terrible, terrible days, the murderous days of the Cultural Revolution. Eventually receives a medical degree, MD, from Harvard University, and a Ph.D. in laser physics from Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. He has done over 60,000 surgeries. But he showed us a little video clip that I'll never forget. 
It's a little girl named Maria from Moldova. She was 14 at the time of the video clip. She grew up in a um, orphanage. She had no sight. She had never seen anything. Some Christians here in the U.S. had sort of adopted her, unofficially adopted her, and brought her here to the U.S. And somehow or another, they found their way to Dr. Ming Wang. And he said, I think I can help this girl. And he did several procedures on her, worked on her. And in the video clip, oh, it's amazing. You go on YouTube, you can see it. Maria, the miracle of Maria Ming Wang. They have the camera there. When they pull the bandages off her eyes, and they have her sitting in front of a mirror. She's never seen anything in her life. And the first thing she sees, they pull the bandages off. And there she is looking at herself in the mirror. And you can see for a few seconds, she has no idea what she's looking at. And when she finally realizes it's her, she screams and jumps. And here are her words. It's beautiful. She says, I'm so pretty. I'm so pretty. You know, Man, I wish all those people didn't have to die in the cultural revolution. I wish all that didn't happen. But I can say this. Somehow or another, God plucked some young man out of China, got him to the U.S., and some teenage girl from Moldova got her sight because of what God did in the cultural revolution. That's just what he does. He's going to pull a miracle out of all this for us as well. So take these great truths and speak them to your own heart, speak them to the hearts of your family members, speak them to the hearts of the people who are hurting the most right now. Let's go back to song. <laughs>